Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is the pole star of our Clashing Sabers constellation. It's Lindsay. No pressure, though. No, none at all. <laughs> Uh, this is all just for fun. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You don't have the fate of the entire podcast network in the no, palm of no, your hands. no. It's yeah. just it's it's all here for a good time. No big work. No worries. No, every everything. Everybody's just like cruising. Nothing bad happens. It's not painful <laughs> at all. Not 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 like the book we're going to be talking about today, which oh, is. Are we are we getting into spoilers too early? Uh, possibly, possibly, but I mean, I feel like the title "Fallen Star" kind of gives away that something uh, bad is going to happen, and uh, they kind of gave away what the big bad thing was. But we will get into that. We will get into that when we talk about "Fallen Star." But before we do that, uh, just a quick call out for anybody who knows teachers uh, that deserve books, which is all teachers. But we, I have a lot of books. I have three boxes packed for the teachers that I have on our list right now, and I have a lot more to send out. So if you have a teacher that you would like to uh, send a box of books to from us here at Clashing Sabers and uh, all the wonderful people who supported our fundraiser, go over to ClashingSabers.net and uh, click on the menu and then uh do the do the thing. Nominate them. Um, yeah, I think that's all to say on that. So then, Lindsay, I want to. You mean w- you don't have more to say than just do the thing? Do the thing. I mean, they're teachers. They're good people. They deserve books. They know what the thing is, too. Let's be real. Everyone knows what do the thing is. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, Lindsay, I wanted to bring back something we hadn't done in in a minute, but it's been a while since we've talked about a book. So. We'll get into Fallen Star in a minute, but what else have you been reading? You been checking anything else out? I was so worried you were going to ask me that because the answer is just straight up no. Yeah, (laughs) I haven't. But you know what? Normally, I feel like when the answer is no, it's like I've been reading nonfiction books at the very least. But when the answer is like a true no, I have not been reading anything other than Star Wars. It's because I'm revisiting something. This time, though, I feel like there's a new Star Wars book every freaking week. I know. Yeah, I feel like I just need to do everything I can to keep up with that. Um, So so there hasn't really been time. And as you might be able to hear in the background, I've kind of been dog sitting for a while, too. So it's not really been a whole lot of like, let me just sit and relax and, and read a book. It's like, let me sit and relax and have a dog in my face. Or three dogs in my face, but they're cute, so I don't mind. I'm not seeing the problem here. No, no, no. It's not a problem. Okay. It's at Just... least a good excuse for why I don't read when I know that I should. <laughs> I, watched, 
I've been watching Yellowstone though. If that, uh, that is story consumption. I think that's like I think that's like audiobooks where like I'll allow it to to count as uh, you know getting a story in, but not necessarily reading. Reading would be a bit of a stretch. Uh, there. Yeah, let's let's go with that because people are amazed when I can stay uh, like. I'll stay awake for a night and just watch an entire season of a show. But I tried to explain to them, like, look, I love just stories and I don't consume stories the way a normal person does where it's like, let me just take in an hour or two and then I'll go back to it. Like once I start a story of any kind, I have to know what happens and I have to finish it. So if it's a, if it's a book and it takes me four, five, six hours to get through, fine. Preferably, it's a movie where it's just like it's going to take me two hours to get through. But when it's a show and it's like, all right, look, strap in for the next 10 hours. I I just got to strap in for the next 10 hours. You're dedicated. You're dedicated. Um, I, yeah, there's so, like, not that this is a problem, but there is so much uh, Star Wars content coming out right now. And it it's interesting to me that, you know, we had the the third Thrawn book come out so close to when you're releasing new High Republic books. It just feels like, and maybe this is part of the pandemic and supply issues and everything, and everything just had to be uh, done at the same time. But it feels like there's just this huge wave of stuff that's coming out, and it was almost impossible to keep up with. Um, that also could possibly be because it took me almost an entire quarter of a year to get through Ronin and (laughs) then everything else was backed up. But, um, yeah, so I, I've caught up on volume one of the high Republic comics and the, uh, bounty hunter war comics, uh, which I talked about a little bit over on, uh, the main show, but I enjoyed those. I I've decided with the comics, I'm just sticking with the stuff that interests me which is more of the special event type things. I don't think I'm really going to be keeping up with the like the main Star Wars line or whatever the 17th Darth Vader line that they're on, but uh I was going to say that's that's part of the problem with the comics is the you say the main Star Wars line and I think I know what you mean, but as someone who keeps up with all the comics, like they have a very very diverse kind of definition of what they consider the main Star Wars line, and they really expanded that a lot. How so? Just in terms of, like, when when I now think comic-related main Star Wars line, I'm like, oh, that's every single issue of, like, any kind of High Republic era. You know, any anything... Not so much kind of side tangent. Side tangent for me would be more, like, Bounty Hunter-esque, or one of, like you said, the 8 millionth, Darth Vader that we've gotten. Um, but when when you think mainline Star Wars, it's not even so much mainline Star Wars saga anymore. It really is what directly connects to High Republic, what directly connects to, you know, of course, the original trilogy era, but then what's going to start connecting to prequel or Mandalorian or the the door really is much more wide open for comic books in in terms of main story than anything else. Yeah, uh, I, and it's 
it being a visual medium makes it a little bit easier in some aspects uh, because you don't have to figure out how to explain the visuals as much, um, which can be a challenge in Star Wars sometimes. Um, and then you, you, you get the more of the ability to tell different kinds of stories. So uh, I think the, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the most recent like High Republic uh, stuff that I think Daniel Jose Older did was more of a noir type uh, feel to it. Like there's a, a lot of different things. And I don't want to necessarily like give too much away before you and I talk about this book tonight. Um, but, but when you talk about like visually telling a story, I think that's where we have to, how do I phrase this without giving too much away? Just because it's, it's a very fine line, right? Because when we read a lot of these stories, even this one, it does a fantastic job of describing and painting a picture and really making us visualize certain things that I don't want to give away too much. Um, but in the comic books, just being able to see it in a panel really quickly and experiencing that emotion really quickly and then continuing with the story without necessarily having to sit through three pages of a description about it. Um, it's it's just a, a really impactful medium that I don't think gets a lot of attention. So I'm, a, I'm still, I've always been, but with the High Republic more so, very much a big proponent of the comic books, especially because it's not like going off of the original trilogy, right? Where, where we know... Han's expressions and we know Leia's mannerisms and what Luke looks like. We we don't have all of that with stories from the High Republic. So I feel like the comic books are almost like a necessary medium for the High Republic. And I do think it's going to start tying in more and more to the quote unquote mainstream Star Wars era. Yeah. See, so the the hardest part for me, the biggest barrier of getting into comics has always been just there's so much and there's so many different things that are named similarly. Like you have Darth Vader, which has the subtitle Dark Lord of the Sith, but then you had the Darth Vader line and then you had Star Wars and it was the line that was before Empire Strikes Back. And then you had a restart of Star Wars that was after the Empire Strikes Back. So all of that was always just overwhelmingly confusing to me. Like, I just need, like, a list of, like, have the titles be different. Like, I mean, look, let's let's also be very, very realistic here. When we're talking about the issues with the different mediums and keeping up with everything, it's not cheap. You know, it's not like it used to be where in the 70s you would pay, I don't even know how much, two, three, four dollars to go to the movies and, and you would have seen the same exact story everyone else and you're on that even playing field. No, now it's here's three dollars every single week for every single comic book series that's going on, which at times, look, I've woken up in the morning and I, I've had the hit on my on my credit card because I do all of the comic books digitally. So I don't necessarily keep track because in my mind it's like, oh, okay, you know, Wednesday morning it's going to be $3 charges. And then it's like, oh, hey, five or six books came out today and it's $3 for each of them. Like it's it's expensive 
to keep up with every single week what you want and and what's interesting to you. Well, and that's what what I've kind of taken a new approach to it. Instead of trying to like figure it out and keep up with it myself, I am using the digital uh, public library. So I have two libraries on there and I just go and I I search when it's, you know, when I am kind of caught up on everything I wanted to read comics wise, place holds on whatever. And then when it comes in, I read it. And if I need to figure out where it fits in the timeline and everything, then, you know, that's what Wikipedia is for. And then because I mean, yeah. And for me, for somebody who is you know, waiting until the whole volume comes out so I can see the complete story and read it all together, not just doing the week by week. Like, you're talking $30, $40 for a book, you know, which is astronomical when you consider the fact that, like, I re- I'm i going to read it quickly, and it's also not my favorite medium. And comics never have been my favorite medium. But like you said, they, they seem to be getting more and more importance. And they're putting stuff in there that, connects and is really intriguing so spoiler alert if for tales of the bounty hunter or not tales of the bounty hunter that's a different one uh the wars of the bounty hunter um but this has been out there forever but the return of kira you know like i wanted to see that character come back it was really cool to see uh boba fett be you know uh the the lone gunman badass that you know uh he's supposed to be during that original trilogy timeline but do I want to spend $30 to get it? Not really. Um, and and that's not a knock on the story itself. That's more just like my personal taste, which is both like, it's like, okay, cool. You can engage in Star Wars how you want to. But then going back to what you were saying about High Republic, it's like, okay, but can everybody have access to these stories if it is going to be essential to read the comics along with the main line of the stories is it accessible to everyone and that's my that's my biggest concern going forward with the high republic because they have become more intertwined and i know this is a complaint some people had for for fallen star was that there are some things that happen in the comics that you need to know going into the book. I don't necessarily agree with that. We can get into that later. But it it's it is a little worrisome if you need to know all of this stuff. And I guess my my basis for that would be like talking with casual Star Wars fans about like Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, right? So one of my teacher friends watched Mandalorian because of Baby Yoda. She's a casual Star Wars fan. She's seen the movies, everything. Uh, Gets into Mandalorian, really into it, really enjoys it. And then Book of Boba Fett comes out, and I I didn't even know she was watching it, and she told me that she goes, I was watching Boba Fett, like, and she's like, I love how they brought all these characters back and everything and this, you know, all of this stuff. And she's like, I actually think I like it better because it had all of these connections to other things. But she didn't know that Cad Bane was from the animated series. She didn't know, like, she doesn't know the history of Ahsoka outside of, like, what I've told her and stuff. And if she had just watched Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, like, or one, or, or excuse me, just watched Book of Boba Fett, like, she would have still been able to understand that story without needing everything else, but it's enhanced when she has everything else. 
And for us as Star Wars fans who are in the animated series and, you know, Cobb Vanth is in the books, like those, that way of telling the story to me is the way that it should continue to go forward where, yes, these stories are intertwined, but if you're watching Book of Boba Fett, everything you need to know about Book of Boba Fett is in there. Everything you need to know about Mandalorian is in there, right? And that will be something interesting and we can, you know, talk at a later date about with season three. Like, do you need to have watched the episodes of Book of Boba Fett to know what's going on in season three of Mandalorian? So it's a weird dichotomy of we live in this world where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a thing and you need to have seen like all of those movies to get everything in Endgame. But at the same time, you can watch Endgame in isolation, Infinity War and Endgame, considering them one movie, and get the story that is supposed to be presented to you. So I'm not quite sure how that balance is going to work out going forward, and that is one thing that concerns me. Yeah, it's it's always kind of interesting for me when we get any kind of new era like this, because I love when it is somehow tangent to like the original trilogy and just being able to like talk to my brother-in-law about it. Right. Because he so vividly remembers and and cherishes because some of his earliest memories are seeing, uh, you know, empire strikes back and then return the Jedi in the theaters with his dad. Like he really loves that and remembers it so well and loves to relive it with my nephews. Um, obviously his sons, but then to, to get, new stories, new timelines and new mediums like this, where he's kind of interested, but, but it's like his graceful way out. Cause it's not necessarily what he grew up with, but to see my nephews then be involved in it. Um, but it's also like, I've, I've kind of been training them since they were, were old enough to read and, and start consuming this on their own where they were, um, it had to be like three, four years ago now. They started to get into Spider-Man. So I got them a whole bunch of like Spider-Man comic books and graphic novels and stuff. So that this way, not so much that they would get into Spider-Man, but they could start learning how to read comic books and that you read comic books in a very different way and get involved that way. So this way, it's it's something we can enjoy. But it's just tough because there's... I understand that the entire concept of the High Republic was to do just this, to have multiple mediums, to have comic books and, and novels and adult novels and, and audiobooks and all this stuff. Like, I, I get that that was the point, but is it alienating or is it unifying? That's that's a, a big debate that I'm still having. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's one of those things, like, to to kind of continue on like the parallel with the the television shows you know when we talk about these shows every week and you know we're analyzing everything week to week we kind of you know some weeks we get down some weeks we get up depending on what the most recent thing was and then when we get the whole we're able to form like a more informed opinion that has evolved by having the entirety of it right and Sometimes that's, you know, for the better. Sometimes that's for the worse. But it's a more well-rounded perspective. So knowing that High Republic is a, 
years long thing as exciting because I think this is a great era to be in, but it is also kind of, uh, I wouldn't say that that it's worrisome that it's continuing on for years, but it's intriguing to me that we won't have that full well-rounded perspective for, for quite some time and to see how they, if and how they consider that as they, they go forward with the stories. But let's get into Fallen Star. Uh, and before we do every book, uh, we do a rating. Uh, then we have our discussion and we see if those ratings have changed. So in honor of our Fallen Gem, today we will do one out of five Starlight Beacons. Lindsay, what do you rate Claudia Gray's newest entry, Fallen Star? Oh, you would think I would have walked into this more prepared. And I'm really trying to be better this year about not giving things half ratings. I will give this three out of five. Okay. I mean, if you're going to give something a half rating, this is your opportunity to do it. because I know. I know. It's it's a tough one. And, and we'll get into why. Um, All right. But I, I don't want to give too much away before that discussion so i'm gonna stick with my three out of five and i'll hear what your rating is well i'm gonna be very divisive here and i'm also gonna give it a three out of five okay okay all right i think we have the same we probably have the same ratings but for very different reasons so i don't know if if how should we start with like why it's good or why it's bad I don't think we've ever agreed three out of five out of the starting gate. Let's let's just to make clear, we are going full spoilers all the way ahead. So if you haven't read the book, go do the Lindsay thing, take six hours, read it, come back. <laughs> Here is both why it's good and why it's bad. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. All the peoples. They all die. Um I am forever going to be salty about Orla dying because she is the peak of a Jedi and she has white lightsabers and thus she is holy as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, all right. So we're going full spoilers. <laughs> we, we are full spoilers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So look, okay, as long as we're doing full spoilers right at the gate, um, it's not even that. That's not my issue. And I feel like I am so clear on every single podcast whether it's it's book related or just overall star wars like i'm fine with people dying i'm a big enough game of thrones fan i watch all these other shows like i i kind of like when when people die in stories because to me it proves when it's a good story or not or when you really when when you're upset about a character dying that should be a positive. That should be a sign of. One second, mute it. A dog just hopped on a remote and Bravo is playing in the background. What you doing, Dodge Man? Hey, buddy. Oh, 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 you okay? You okay? Hey, honey, you okay? Be you there? Yeah, sorry, I was muted. Are you hurting dogs over no, there? No, no, no. This poor boy. You okay, bud? He sat on a remote, so I went to shoo him away. But he's 13 years old, so he tried to get up too quickly and then fell. Aw, poor baby. 
I know. <laughs> He's such a good boy, too. Okay. What was I talking about? People dying? Yes. People dying is a good thing. Okay. Yeah, all right. You're all right, bud. Poor boy. Um, yeah, so I like people dying in stories. Um, and the reason is, to me, if, if you're upset when a character dies, that's the sign of a well-written character. And that's the sign that the author or the writers or, or the showrunner is doing something right. And it's a really good story. So I'm okay with the amount of people who die in this book. The different, which is such a weird thing to say. Um, but, but the reason I give this kind of a three out of five out of the starting gate, um, I think there's, there's kind of two main things that I take away from this that would detract points for me. Number one is it is much more of an ensemble book than we've been used to in the High Republic. I always like, and this is again, personal preference. This is just personal preference. I like when we have one or two protagonists that we are really following. Um, this was a little bit more difficult because there's probably like five or six, yeah, um, that we're following. And on top of that, when you have that many protagonists, I think there needs to be one very clear antagonist. And there wasn't in this case, there was Martian Rowe who thinks he's the main antagonist. And probably really is. But then there's also this this unknown force at the time um, who, who we're going up against. And it's, it's just a lot going on instead of just one real clear narrative and one real clear arc. Um, but the second point that takes it away from, from me is this is the very rare time in a Star Wars book where we're racing a clock. Because not very often do we have, here's the set time frame, something very specific and something very bad is going to happen in the next insert time here. You know, one hour, one day, one week. And we need to figure out how to stop it from happening. And now we, we have this timer counting down and our protagonists need to fix it or stop it. Um, that's a very rare thing in Star Wars, and for me it doesn't exactly... It's not that it doesn't really work or land, because it does. It's just not my preferred tension. Like I, I like tension when it's between two characters, or when it's between one character. I really like having to make a decision between two things. I just don't necessarily like the action movie-esque book. Okay, I, I hear you. So... As far as everyone dying, um, I'm with you on that. That like I think if it has the emotional impact, then uh, then that's a good thing. I think the one thing that bothered me is I just um, in light of the Jedi, I wanted more of Orla Janeri, and now I don't get any more of her. Uh, I was so excited that she was back, and then um, just destroyed. But I think the deaths were used impactfully on there. Uh, pretty much in all regards um especially like stellan dying like that was a 
twist I did not see coming and that really was a big shock but it I, I really puts it. Ev- like, me, I do was, too that was like a big plus for me everybody is vulnerable now this is not uh you know the old uh you know legends where you know the big three are going to to make it out and even after you know Chewie dies you're like okay well maybe some of the not as big three will will go you know maybe we'll lose you know Akbar, maybe we'll lose 3PO, whatever it may be, but we're not going to lose, you know, Luke, Han, and Leia here. You took who was basically your protagonist in the the previous book, and you killed him. And then you also killed him, and then now you're going back in time, so you're not even going to deal with it right away. As far as the racing the clock thing goes, it didn't bother me at all. I think it could have been more effective if you went the route uh that light of the jedi did before the great disaster where you're counting you had a countdown at the start of each chapter because reading it over a longer span it just naturally makes it feel like it's a lot longer than it is and the story's happening over a longer span of time than it is um so that's that's a little yeah, bit challenging but, in, but in light of the jedi though i feel like they did that more for dramatic irony than than setting a timer Yes, but I think it could have worked in this story, too. Uh, Maybe not every chapter, but maybe like every time you revisit a certain group of characters and that the the ensemble thing is something that I actually enjoyed in this one, uh, because I think that Claudia Gray did a good job of even though there were five or six, you know, protagonists here. She chunked them very clearly, where you had Bell and Buryaga's story happening. Then there was the Avar, Stella, and Elzar story. Then there was the Nile story. You know, no, no, it, it's not that it was poorly done by any means. I think if it was, it was, if it had to be done, I'm happy it was done in this way. I just think that when you have Claudia Gray, who's so beautifully and so strongly always dives into a character's headspace it's a sin to not give her you know three to four hundred pages with one character to do that you know yeah she she just kind of writes a character so well it seems sinful to make her do it four or five, six times instead of just, hey, here's one or two characters, do the best you can and flush this out as well as you can for just them. But I feel like she really leaned into Elzar. Like, I feel like if you ask Claudia Gray who the protagonist of the book is, she would say Elzar. Interesting. That's... I just feel like it's... I would say, if I were Claudia Gray answering that question, my answer would be, the protagonist is the Force, the antagonist is, as we now know them today, the Force Eaters. Yeah, so, speaking of the Force Eaters, so I just uh, watched Star Wars Explains video on that, because I'm not caught up on the comics, but... um, So, in my notes, I have that one of the serious problems is not knowing what this thing is that is affecting the Jedi because now we're going back in time and 
that makes me really apprehensive not knowing about this. Maybe, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, no, because it, it's like it's set up as a mystery, but there's no conclusion. Like, we don't know what the the answer to the mystery is after all of this. Right, but I think I think there's a good possibility that they are going back to tell how those creatures evolved, where they came from, their origins. Maybe they are, uh, you know, something that the Sith made when trying to learn how to manipulate the midi-chlorians or something like that. If that is the case, not necessarily my theory, but if they are going back in time to tell part of the story being how they, how this character came, or how this uh, force eater being came to be, I'm cool with that. But if you're going back in time and you're just going to leave that dangling out there, it's too unresolved to where it almost makes it uncompelling when you have to go back later. So it'd be like, you know, Lucas doing the I am your father and then going back and not even doing the prequels, but doing the High Republic. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. All these characters that we just got emotionally invested in are not going to be alive. Like, where's our thread that you're you're pulling through? To me, it has to be developing the antagonist, developing the history of Martian Rowe, uh, developing the Force Eater. Otherwise, this is a serious issue that they're going to have, not in story, I mean, it will be in the story, but as a creative team of, okay, why did we go, why are we going back in time? And again, I'm, I'm asking that from the perspective of if we don't get these answers in this, we'll call it High Republic prequel era, then why leave it dangling out there? Something so vague that your casual Star Wars reader is not going to remember all of this stuff when they come back to it in two years, three years, whatever it is, when we get back to our current timeline. No, you're, you're totally right. And that's kind of why I keep it at a three out of five, because I'm not saying the high Republic itself is three out of five. And I'm not saying that the potential to take the story anywhere is three out of five. I think that the, the questions being asked are awesome. And I think the storytellers who are going to answer those questions are awesome. But in, in terms of just this book, you know, this, this X amount of pages, it's three out of five. Cause we don't, we don't necessarily get an answer to anything like nothing. We, we lose characters, but nothing in terms of the overall story is truly answered by any means. Yeah, I think this is I think the point of this book when if if you're in with the creative team and you're coming up with what's the point of Fallen Star? It was to let the audiences know that nothing and nobody are safe. You think everything's safe because, you know, we know that the Republic still stands and everything like that. But the Jedi, who they are, the force, all of it is at risk. And there's enough time, you know, coming up where you can allow for, okay, things have changed that we didn't see on screen from the High Republic to the Phantom Menace. Because, like, for me, the the thing that really stood out 
you know, when we go back to the idea of connecting it with the other stories and, and everything like that, is that the the Jedi are already extremely egocentric, which is like literally what allows those menial tasks that they just don't even pay attention to to uh, tear apart the station. And, and in the same way, like the Republic is kind of arrogant and egocentric uh you lena so literally says i should have called for a civilian effort before uh she hadn't done so in part because it had seemed so impossible that starlight beacon could truly be falling after you just had the republic fair get torn to shreds like after the great disaster after uh the republic fair and now you're like, oh no, Starlight Beacon can't possibly fall. What are you? What? They're just so blind already that it's like it makes sense why we are where we're, we it's are so in like, the Phantom Menace. Why? Why I'm so? Uh, I hate saying this because it's not that I'm frustrated yet. I just I can't believe that we're not going to get more stories immediately moving forward from this. We're go- we're now going to go back in time. It's like there there's so much story here still. There's so many things I have to know about this right here, right now. For example, I wonder if what we see here with Lena So and and her, I mean, essentially her ineffectiveness over these three books, or we'll say these two books. She was pretty effective in Light of the Jedi, but. Is this what leads to the bureaucrats taking over more where we get Valorum just, you know, basically being a puppet figure that can get kicked out when it's convenient for Palpatine to take over? Like, there are... It's really hard to say because we don't have enough to be like, you know what, this is... This is what's going on right now in in the Republic, in the Senate, and with the... Here's what's going on with the Jedi and here's our enemies, but we don't know enough about kind of public perception at this point to say here's how we got here and that's again there's there's so much story still left to be told but i think that's so much we could do what makes star wars work no because i think what makes star wars work is we're able to relate to someone or something in it whereas this is just like here's everyone in power and here's what's going on with them so we can't necessarily jump from A to B, A being High Republic, B being the Phantom Menace. Like, there's there's too much left untold and there's too much story here, which is why I wish we kind of just got to stay in this era a little bit longer as opposed to rewinding again. Yeah, and I liked Zach's question of, like, is it just this one book that's going to be 150 years or is the entire next phase i think the entire next phase to me that's the way i read it but that's how i read it too yeah yeah uh see i don't know for me filling in the gaps in the stories is just part of fandom that i really enjoy i'm i can detach myself from my expectations in most regards um so like for example, going back to Snoke, I was a big, like, Snoke is plague as I had the whole, like, theory you know, plotted out and everything. And my disliking of Snoke being just a random clone 
it's not attached to those expectations of, oh, my, my idea didn't come true. It was like, all right, here's my idea. If I was a storyteller, here's what I would do. And or here's what I would be trying to get my audience to see. And they decide to go a different direction. Now, I think as, as far as the High Republic is concerned, you set it up as this. It's a new era, not connected to anything else. And you put it far enough back where you can leave some gaps for for fans to theorize about and fill in. But and and we can kind of move on from this point here. But it, again, it just it all comes back to with this book. It's really curious that this is the book that they are going back in time after. Um, but I do think I I do think that there are you know the whole star wars it's poetry it rhymes there's there's these reflections here of what we are going to see later like i don't know if you picked up on this but to me the breaking of the station is a reflection of the breaking of the republic and the jedi that we are going to see and it happening slowly is it, it, it mimics the the rise and takeover of the sith and so then when you have and you're you'll like this connection hopefully when you have everybody come to help starlight beacon it's like rise of skywalker when they all come to defeat the sith like i see these parallels here of the breaking apart of things and the galaxy coming together to support each other and stuff that eventually is going to be a thread that keeps hope alive in the the saga films Yes and no, because I think for me it's more of an issue of time and place. Like with the with the movies when that happens, it's well deserved, and everyone has seen each one of these movies and knows what's about to happen. Whereas in the books, I just don't think it's quite as well deserved as they want it to be in this book specifically. Okay, I mean, I felt like it was deserved i felt like it was earned um because i i think that in terms of starlight beacon in and of itself it seemed like this untouchable thing it seemed like honestly it seemed like a reverse death star to me where the death star was created to inspire fear and keep everybody in order starlight beacon was created to inspire hope and bring everyone together and uh i wrote this quote down that kind of connected with that and it says but starlight beacon had been created as the ultimate symbol of the republic designed by its greatest scientists built by the fabled craft workers of riosa he'd been so sure that it would withstand this damage at least long enough to help for help to arrive never had he seriously contemplated it falling apart until this moment like you have the ultimate symbol of the republic ultimate symbol of the empire designed by its greatest scientists designed by its greatest scientists craft workers of risosa uh craft workers of geonosis uh it could withstand any damage they can't you know hit a, a little port um Never seriously contemplated it falling out of the sky. Never seriously contemplated it blowing up because of an X-Wing. Like, all of that stuff, like, I, I see, to me, how they're setting up how different these eras are. And when I'm, re when I'm reading Star Wars, 
that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. I'm looking for, you know, these parallels that happen that uh, make what we get in the other stories even better. Not that one story exists just to make another story better, but good storytelling. And I think Claudia Gray does this probably better than most, if not everyone, enhances the stories that you already have. We've seen that with uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Bloodline adds so much to the sequel trilogy. Even going to like Lost Stars, like I can't watch uh, the Return of the Jedi scene uh, of Vader and then the Return of the Jedi scene of, of the Emperor coming down the shuttle without thinking of that parallel that they make in there and how uh, the entire Empire is there for, for when the Emperor comes and how our characters are standing there somewhere in there that it really enhances the experience for me. And I felt like this book was, was chocked full of that. And, uh, to me that, that was a big, big win. Yeah. I, I get your connections and I like that. Whereas for me, what I would consider building on a story isn't necessarily mirroring another one plot wise. It's more building on the characters, but to your point, one of the, I wish I had the exact quote in front of me because I think it's Elzar at one point talks a lot about how the Jedi need hope and the significance of hope and, and what hope does for potential fighters and, and the mindset it can put you in. Um, but it's, it so beautifully reflects the themes of what Princess Leia would try to communicate at any given time. Um, and that's when it was kind of just like, oh, this is it. This is the reason why Claudia Gray is writing this story. And this is what's what's so impactful about Star Wars is it's really hammering in that message of hope and why people fight for the things that they fight for. It's not that fighting is bad, but the reason you fight has to be important. And that, I think, is more significant than direct kind of plot mirrors well while i think those those plot elements are really cool for fans and and really nice i don't necessarily think that makes or breaks a story for me that's fair and and i do think you know on that point of hope and i don't have the exact quote that you're talking about in front of me but i do have one um from a character that really struggles with that which who is stellan and he says, uh, this is after, you know, to me, I read it, you know, in retrospect, as he kind of knows he's going to die. But he says, this is what hope is. It isn't pretending that nothing will go wrong if only we try hard enough. It's looking squarely at all the obstacles in the way, knowing the limits of our own power and the possibility of failure and moving ahead anyway. That is how we must proceed with hope. First of all, uh, duh, Claudia Gray would be the one to write this because she's written Leia better than anybody uh, in the history of novelizations. Uh, and that's just such a Leia quote. But after Stellan's, you know, dealing with his uh, kind of his identity crisis here, which makes it even more painful that he dies uh, right after, you know, kind of finding a new beginning and a new start and finding his way again. Um, but I mean, that, he just nails it on the head. And to me, that's what they're fighting for. That's what they're struggling for. All of these characters, like all of them are really struggling and fighting for hope. And 
they're dealing with the regrets of mistakes and ego, which in my point of view are the killers of hope. And so, you know, you have uh, Stellan, you know, taking the position of Marshall from uh, Avar. You have Elzar dealing with his darkness. You have Chansey Yarrow trying, um, she's trying to fix this problem in front of her instead of this whole big galactic thing. You have Bell dealing with the regret of, uh, you know, his master dying and the, the ego and attachment to his friends. All of those egotistical you know things are, real, are killers of hope real quick too before I forget this, because this is something where as i was reading i was like oh my god i have to talk about this i think one of the biggest draws to this is that when when they have a wookie they do not do the classic like timothy's on of like we're going to tell you exactly what a wookie oh yeah say because that never bothered me so much like when I was younger, but a few years ago I tried listening to all of that on um, audiobook. And as great as Mark Thompson is, just hearing hearing all of that on an audiobook is just embarrassing. No matter how how well you you do any kind of like Wookiee voice, it's just bad. So at least this to have the dignity to not have a Wookiee speak English or basic, whatever you want to call it, like, and and still kind of be interpreted through his friends. That was a really big plus for me. But, but to your point, yes, having having the overall themes really driven in per character was a really big big plus for me. And I think honestly, the the biggest conflict um that i related to the most and was the most interested in was stellan taking the marshal position from avar like that was for and and i don't know why because i know in my head or or maybe even on paper like it probably isn't the most interesting it's it's a story that i'm sure has been told a thousand times you know two best friends one gets kind of jealous or territorial over the other but for some reason, just having those two characters, because I think in other stories, it, their their relationship had been so well established, that was a really, really compelling storyline for me. And, and part of the reason why I personally am not a big fan of ensemble-like stories, because I, I wanted to spend a little bit more time there. I have a theory on why that triad the little triad works so well and this goes back to my parallels thing and it, I, I don't think it's necessarily intended to be this way but i think with how they develop the characters you can make this parallel stellan is obi-wan avar is luke and elzar is anakin and so in a way you're getting that dynamic together and seeing the struggle and the tension that you know would happen if those three archetypes were together through these characters now, i don't think they're like oh we're gonna make stellan you know the obi-wan but he's very he, he talks about in this book he's very much this is I, i've always been a jedi and who am i without the order I don't think those are so much parallels as much similarities, just because that's the dynamic between three characters that we never got to see play out. So I think calling it a 
parallel. That that's fair. Is, is strong, but similarities between those characters, yes. Because you have a Var, she's like the the new hope. You have Elzar, who is struggling with his inner darkness. You know, you have Stellan, who is like I said, dealing with who am I without the order and all of that. Um, so. I do think that that and I and I bring up that point not so much to compare them to the other three, but just to express that that it's a very Star Wars thing. Like these these characters, they fit the mold while also being something new, which is is something that I really appreciate about it. And I appreciate that they are. This is this is one of my problems that I had with Legends, and this isn't to call out anybody who enjoys Legends, but Legends was very much about the action and not about the characters and relationships and the archetypes that Star Wars has really been about. And to me, that's what the High Republic is doing a good job of mixing together. It's mixing together the action and the mythology. It's mixing in the relationships and the archetypes in a way where maybe it's a little stretched thin right now. Um, Again, I keep keeping in mind that this is a probably seven to 10 year project. I think that they have, if I were to, you know, make a guess in where, you know, two years into it, right? Um, I think roughly two years into it, everything's wonky with with the pandemic. Yeah. But we're we're yeah, well, a quarter it, yeah, of the way. Push back. Yeah. So we have a very we essentially, if like you look at the the Lucas saga one through six, we essentially have like the Phantom Menace right now, and maybe like the, the intro of Attack of the Clones. Like, at best, there's so much more story to be told to where I feel like we will get into really focusing on certain characters. And I think this book really, when we when we get back to this timeline, I don't know what's going on with the 150 years before thing. But when we get back yeah, to this timeline. To, to your comparison, I mean, it could very well be like this is the original trilogy where we're in the middle right now and now we're going to go back and explain the prequels and then we'll fast forward again and like it could be taking that same exact approach to this story yeah i mean i i feel like that's definitely definitely a possibility the one thing that really like the the multiple characters that we're focusing on all the different dynamics that didn't bother me as much as I think it bothered you. I I was fine with that because I got a lot of of every character. The thing that does really, it's it's personal preference too. Yeah, absolutely. It totally is. Um, but for me and, and I, I would argue this isn't personal preference. This is a big issue that the entire, uh, high Republic story has right now. Martian Rose motivations are very, very muddy. Like I have no idea why he wants the Jedi gone. Other See, than he just wants power. Is is like I said before, we have all of these questions, all of these mysteries that have to be answered. And if we're taking another jump back in time, it should have all been wrapped up in this book. Like I, I would have preferred closing this story and even if yes 90% of my favorite characters are dead 
all of my questions are answered. I'd be cool with that. But but part of my my three out of fiveness of this story is not all of my questions are in fact very few of my questions are answered. Um and and that's a big one is why is the antagonist doing what they're doing? Because I think that he is really, really cool. And I think that the Nile are really, really cool. I just don't get them. And I can't necessarily root for or against them when I don't understand them. The Nile themselves, I get. It's 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 almost like a Lost Boys meets like a cult where at first they get together and they're just trying to, you know, make their way and take, you know, take out their aggression on the galaxy. It makes them sound like they're like not terrible people, but like they're doing it because it's just allowing them to express like the anger and frustration and abandonment or whatever kind of trauma that they have. And then Martian Row becomes this rallying point where it goes from this group of people who are just rebelling and basically saying F the system because it's let us down. And now it's evolved into something where there's this single like leader that everybody is following and it becomes much more of a cult um, kind of thing. I wouldn't say the Nile are a cult, but just kind of to, to set a dichotomy there. But like, if you're going to do that, like it's very clear now with how they've set it up, that the Nile as an organization are not the big threat. They are the tools. They are the stormtroopers, if you will. But the big threat is Martian Row, or is supposed to be Martian Row, right? And to me, you you have two kinds of villains in Star Wars. You have the just a straight up bad guy like Palpatine, just hate him he's the worst and then you have the uh tortured antagonists like the anakins and kylo ren's and stuff like that those tortured antagonists those ones who have and i don't even want to say that martian roe like has a light side to him i think they're very clearly setting him up as a bad guy but he's a mystery you don't know what's going on inside of him and for me, what makes those characters compelling, those characters in the masks, if you will, which is what Martian Rowe is, is discovering who that person underneath is and not necessarily like justifying why they do what they do, but understanding why they do what they do. Like, that's. I mean, Martian, too, though, is as far as I can really remember off the top of my head, at least, for the first time in Star Wars or really any other thing that I follow, the intrigue behind him isn't even so much the why, it's the how. Mm, That's a good point. It's like, yeah, like, how did he come to this power? How did he get this technology? How is he able to control as much as he he does? So for me, it's, it's more of the how is he doing this? And the why, I think, was at least a little bit more clear by the end of this, where it's just, power for the sake of power i hope that like when we get through with i guess they're calling it this is phase two coming up next that's going to be like the prequel timeline i really hope that we can read those stories 
And when they're like, all right, phase two's wrapped up, we can immediately go into Light of the Jedi and read through again. And then it's like, oh my God, they had it all set up beforehand. You know, like... Yeah, they knew what they were doing. Exactly. And, and it's and it's all the same people doing it. Not in terms of in the actual stories, but in terms of telling the stories. A hundred percent. And and we find out how they get the paths. We find out how they get uh what was what was her name, the old woman that they had Oh, um it's the, the Santeca one who this yeah. is Mina this is Nina stupid, Mina Santeca. Well, this is my stupid, stupid gripe with some of just the the obvious like dunk on the head. How could you not have thought of this? You can't have a really old character and then a really young character and then name the really young character Nan. Because I'm supposed yeah. to associate the old the old woman with Nan. <laughs> and that was, that's another part of my gripe with all of this. Nan is a really cool character. I just kind of get so annoyed because I, for some reason, every single time I see her name on the page, I'm immediately brought to the old woman, not the young one. That's fair. Totally fair. Um, yeah, so there are a lot of things of how did we get here that that I am intrigued of, like, we got a little bit in Tempest Runner of Martian's father, and then uh, essentially how he Martian himself comes to power, we know that it's uh, a legacy thing that's passed down, we know we have the Santecas involved, maybe we see the development of the Nile, maybe, you know, uh, and then yeah. there, there yeah, are characters that can her. can like cross over. Porter Angle, oh. I've heard, is going to be in there. Yoda uh, could be alive. For as frustrated as I am with the fact that we're going back 150 years again, um, I think it, it really opens up the door. Um, and and there there's still a lot that really can be told here. And it's going to be interesting, and I trust it. It's just for me, it's it's closing this book, knowing it's the last book in this era that we're going to get for a hot minute. It didn't accomplish for me what I thought it had to accomplish. But that being said, it's still a good book on its own. And the High Republic is still a great, really fun era. And it, it was good. It was well written. It wasn't the best the High Republic had to offer, in my opinion. It wasn't the best Claudia Gray had to offer, in my opinion. But I am fully mature enough and self-aware enough to admit that the reasons I think that are 90% just matter of opinion. Do you think that part of your frustration is at, it could actually be a positive thing because you want the answers to these questions which means they've done a good job of yes, developing yeah, them absolutely just just like the what i was saying earlier with i'm okay when a character dies mm -hmm. because that signals that you're invested whereas there have been other books in star wars or even outside of star wars or, or other stories outside of star wars where I reference the fact that a character can die and I don't care. Like, I, I don't need a particularly gory death to be interested. 
I can deal with even an off-camera death where I feel just as heavily emotionally impacted. That's a good story. So yes, to your point, the fact that I'm sitting here and I'm like, but I want more. It's a good sign for the High Republic, but it doesn't mean that this specific book was top-notch. Okay. All right. Well, we will have to see where the High Republic goes from here. There's so much more to talk about, uh, and I know we'll get into it. I know you and Zach are always getting into it over on Sith Talk because <laughs> you can't you can't have Jedi stuff in Force lore without without the Lady and Lord of Lore talking yeah, about what it. What is that? Uh, let's get into our final rating. So we both agreed three out of five at the beginning, and Lindsay, I'm going to let you. Uh, rate it here at the end i'm gonna keep it at three out of five but again fully admitting that it is mostly matter of opinion because because i don't think we really fleshed out enough like claudia gray did a great job she writes for for an ensemble book she writes different voices very well and very clearly she makes you connect with a lot of different characters. What she does, she does really well. The stuff that is missing is a matter of opinion for me. And I think that there's understandably a lot of people like our good buddy Zach who think that this is the be-all, end-all of Star Wars books. And I would never want to take that away from someone. It's just my personal matter of opinion. I'm not big on ensemble-esque books. Okay. Well, I am going to actually bump it up to a four out of five because I think talking talking it out here and just, I mean, I have pages of notes we didn't even get into, but the what it says about the Jedi, the connections it makes with other stories, the possibilities that it presents, and honestly, those frustrations of, oh, I want to know everything right now to me, actually bumps it up quite a bit. And I, as much as it hurt to lose people that I really wanted, you know, to see more of uh, Rip or Legionary, uh, the fact that I will never, like, it was one thing with the Great Disaster. You're like, okay, cool. We knew this Great Disaster was coming. It, you know, is obviously extremely tragic within the galaxy but it's kind of like setting it's the catalyst for things so you're not too emotionally attached to everybody everybody there for me going back to rising storm that was far too dragged out where i kind of checked out with the emotional investments uh and consequences for the characters here this one really made me feel like nobody's safe nothing is safe and everything you think is going to be okay might not be and I like going into these future stories and never being able to be 100% sure again if things are safe, no matter how great they may look. And even if they tell us that something terrible is going to happen, like they basically told us Starlight Beacon is falling apart in this, like we saw it crashing in the, the art, that wasn't even the most painful thing. It wasn't even in like the top five most painful things that happened in this book. And I'm here for it. I'm here for the tragedy and the angst and the pain. And uh, for me, that's something like that I come to Star Wars for 
is that tragedy and to see how our characters handle it and how they respond to it. And I think we're going to get a lot of that in in future stories. So you know what, though, can we bookmark the fact that you just said all of that? And this way, in a few months, when the book Brotherhood comes out, <gasps> oh. we can we can revisit all of those claims you just made. <laughs> God, it's gonna hurt so good. Yeah, just so remember good. this. Remember this exact moment, because I sure will. Star Wars is tragedy and pain, and maybe I'm a masochist, but I'm into it. All right, guys, so we are done talking about Fallen Star, but we will be here to cover all the High Republic books. Uh, I am currently reading Midnight Horizon. Lindsay, are you working on that one? or are you? I am, yeah. All right, so that'll that'll be our next episode. That'll It'll be Midnight one. Horizon. And then I think that's actually going to be it for like a month, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I think actually the next one that will come out is Brotherhood, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, we still have to talk about that Thrawn book that came no, out. No, we don't. but but timeline wise it's timeline wise yes and then brotherhood will come out next yeah which which honestly is six week if i'm on seven week break between books is like a long time for star wars now yeah yeah and and then you know Kenobi will come out around the same time as Brotherhood. Oh. So many, so much stuff. And we will be here to cover it all. I know you guys will cover episode by episode over or every couple episodes for Kenobi over on Sith Talk. So make sure you're subscribed to the network and you'll get all of our episodes. Uh, the Clashing Sabers flagship show, Don't Burn the Sacred Texts, Sith Talk with Lindsay and Zach. Uh, Mark is working on a great special editions version of his first three episodes of Forever Star Wars. And more to come out there. Adriana is getting uh, some episodes of Starships uh, in the pipeline. So there's going to be all kinds of content coming from Star Wars and from Clashing Sabers. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you go over and check out our writings over at ClashingSabers.net. See uh, some of the impact that your donations have had uh, to help us putting Star Wars books into classrooms. And uh, just Find how to connect with us. All of our links are going to be in the show notes, but they're also over there on our website. Uh, And you guys know how to click hyperlinks by now in the year of our Lord and Savior (laughs) C-3PO. What did you say at the top of the episode? You know what to do. You know what to do. You know what to do. And Lindsay, you know that you need to tell them where they can find you. Best place to find me is actually over on our Facebook group, uh, Clashing Savers. If you like or really dislike anything that I say on this episode, just comment, tag me. Or if you have ideas for future episodes, which is actually something we should talk about, um, someone over there had a fantastic idea for us to start revisiting some of the uh, movie novelizations. Yes. Specifically Phantom Menace. Um, And I think maybe we should take that seven-week hiatus to dive into stuff like that. But we are always looking for... Whatever you're interested in, any thoughts, any ideas that you have. So feel free to tag me on our Facebook group um, and, and let me know what you're thinking and we'll see how we can make it happen. All right. Well, until then, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text.
Alright, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. <laughs>